three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 400. Been a long time uh, to get to this point. Done 400 episodes of this podcast. That's pretty crazy to me. Uh, It's a big milestone. It's funny because a lot of people care about the milestone, and I'm like, to me, it's just another episode. It's been weird. Like, I've got a bunch of stuff in production, and I'm like, ah, like, I don't know. It's just, oh, hey, we hit a big number. But a lot of people keep asking me, what are you going to do for 400? Like, what's the, how are you going to celebrate the milestone? And what I want to do to kind of, I want to kind of dedicate this episode to somebody who, in my opinion, doesn't get much recognition for the way they contribute to strong opinion sports. And uh, I want to start by talking about my fiance, Elizabeth. A lot of people don't understand and realize she's a really big unsung hero in my life, Uh, especially like this podcast. Like people have no idea the impact she has on both me and and then the podcast and how much she makes my life and my job easier. And, um, you know, we moved to Hawaii a couple months ago and and that was her kind of her idea. Like, Hey, she's like, Hey, we can live in a tiny apartment. That's fine. We'll, We'll figure it out. And she was willing to take the plunge and, you know, be kind of radical. Like we're moving across the ocean. We're getting rid of all of our stuff. And I don't mind if we have one bedroom and we're not going to use the bedroom to sleep in. We're going to use the bedroom as a studio. And next to our kitchen, we'll put our bed, which is a lot of women are like not down for that. And Liz has been like just completely all in on me and my career. And uh, I just can't say thank you enough to her. And I think a lot of people don't realize it's all the little things, whether it's her cooking dinner, like I'm pulling an all nighter, it's two in the morning. And for some reason, she's still up. And she's like, do you need food? And I'm writing and trying to prepare the show. And I'm like, stressed because I have a deadline soon. And she's like, hey, she just puts a salad in front of me just to give me some food because I'm, I'm so busy and I'm not working or um, like people don't realize how often I bounce ideas off of her. I'm like, hey, I'm trying to cover this topic. And I'm not sure like, what do you think? And my fiance's voice is in this show like a lot more than people would realize just from her perspectives and I bounce ideas off of her all day and or even simply the fact that it's 4:10 in the morning which means I'm I'm very loud <laughs> you know like she's behind this wall trying to sleep and she's okay with me recording right now and she puts in you know earplugs and is down with it and I have a partner who is all in on me and my career and that Man, it, it means everything to me to have someone who supports me and understands and is, is truly my partner. So I'm so grateful for her. I, I want to give her a shout out and I want the audience to know, man, like my fiance. And I think it shows in my content, like my content's better than ever before. I'm making more of it than ever before. And a lot of that is because I've got someone supporting me so much behind the scenes. And I, uh, Liz, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. And uh, I, I think it's a good time maybe to promote the podcast her and I do together. We have a show called Flawed Humans. Uh, the Flawed Humans podcast. It's on YouTube. Look up Flawed Humans on YouTube. You'll find it. It's also on iTunes. I mean, it's it's a great show. We've done, I think, 28 episodes so far. Uh, we've got another one in the can we recorded, and she's editing right now. She makes it. She edits it. I just sit there and talk and be myself, and uh, it's one of my... Actually, I'm not going to lie. I think it's a better podcast than Strong Opinion Sports. It's really it's about life and about being a human, and it's really interesting. So if anyone wants to... I, I think the best way I can really... Um, make my fiance happy is by promoting the show her and I do together here. Uh, but I wanted to start the show that way by giving a shout out to her, someone who massively makes a difference on this podcast and makes the show better, makes my life better. And uh, 
you know, she's part of why I got to 400 so quickly. So I just want to say thank you so much to my fiance, Liza. Okay, uh, let's talk about college football. Give me a moment. I feel a tickle in my throat. I need to cut real quick. All right, let's now talk about college football. We just had college football week eight. And as I step back and look at everything that happened, there are eight games I want to talk about. I also, by the way, at the end of this topic, I've got an idea. It's called the College Football Week 8 Hall of Shame, where I share two things that are really, really bad and frustrating uh, that happened uh, in moments from Saturday. Okay, game number one, the craziest game this weekend was that unranked Illinois beat number seven ranked Penn State 20 to 18 in not one, not two, not three, not four, but nine overtimes. It was the, the most overtimes ever played in a college football FBS level game. And what this game really did for me, I'm going to talk about the NFL for a moment, because this game made me want the NFL to copy the, the college football overtime rules. This is the new rule this year. Is For the first two overtimes, every team gets the ball at the 25-yard line, first and 10, with a chance to score. Now, once the game gets to overtime number three, things will change a little bit. And the ball gets put on the three-yard line. And each team will run two-point conversions until someone wins and someone has more points. And, you know, nine overtimes is a bit misleading when you talk about Illinois versus Penn State because overtime number three through overtime number nine, in those seven overtime periods, a total of 14 plays were run. I mean, it's very little. Seven by each team from the three-yard line. Every team had a shot. If you score, I get a chance to respond. I loved it. It was exciting. It was relatively short, actually. I was watching. Like, I, I pulled up. Usually, I, I, I skip ahead. I didn't skip ahead very much. I was just watching the game straight through because it was very, very rapid between overtime number three and overtime number nine. And the game came to a close. And By the way, there's fewer plays. Less opportunities for guys to get hurt is what that means. And uh, the best thing is that when Penn State lost this game, usually in the NFL, often when a team wins in an overtime game, people are upset because... Someone got the ball first, they went down, they scored a touchdown, and one team did not get an opportunity to respond. Nobody said anything like that when Penn State lost. No one said, oh, Penn State didn't get a real shot to win. Because both teams had legitimate real opportunities to win multiple times. And I think that makes the loss a little bit easier to accept if you're a fan of Penn State. Because, again, like both teams dropped what would have been the game-winning score. And in this game, multiple times that happened where Iowa had, uh, sorry, Penn State had one, Illinois had one. It was like, man, this is really kind of frustrating watching two teams like fail at scoring two-point conversions over and over and over again. And I wonder, is the NFL maybe just afraid of the optics of copying college football? Like, they're like well, if we copy them, are they afraid it's like admitting that college football is better? It's like, well, it's okay to say like that other league has a really good idea. Like maybe it's an ego thing, uh, but I think from an owner's standpoint, it's, it's exciting to have that kind of overtime with the, the two-point conversions deciding things after a, a bit. Uh, it's also short, so you don't need to pay players even more. It's, it's relatively like quick to solve that problem. So I really want the NFL to steal this type of overtime with the, the two-point. Like, hey, try a little bit. If it doesn't work, let's do two-point conversions. I just hate having ties. I really, really despise when two NFL teams tie. I think it's wrong and silly. And uh, I have more to say. Write in on Patreon if you want me to break down further uh, my ideas about the NFL adopting a college football-style overtime. Now, here's a crazy reality in this Penn State-Illinois football game 
Illinois ran the ball 67 times for 357 yards. And Illinois had 38 passing yards. And a game that went to nine overtimes. Here's the final stat line for the winning quarterback in this game. Art Sitkowski at Illinois was eight for 19 passing with 38 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. Illinois running back Chase Brown had 33 carries for 223 yards and a touchdown. And their other running back, Joshua McCray, had 24 carries for 142 yards. Ridiculous. Still, it's a big win. Uh, Unranked Illinois beating number seven Penn State. Uh, This came right after, earlier in the week, Illinois head coach Brett Bielma made comments calling out specifically his offensive line and his quarterbacks. Uh, He seemed to basically say, hey, don't blame me. The former coach of Illinois and that former coaching staff failed at recruiting and were terrible at player development. So he pointed the finger at the old coaching staff and said, don't blame me for the struggles we're having this year. And clearly there's a disconnect between how the players feel and then how the way the media covered what Brett Bielma said, because it seemed like the way people wrote about it, like Brett Bielma threw his players under the bus. And you would expect if the players were thrown under the bus, they would mutiny and would not have beat a number seven team in the nation. But Brett Bielma's team on Saturday fought hard and they won. So I wonder what's really happening. I, I see all this reporting. I did, I did listen to what he said, but it was like, I, I wonder if behind closed doors, at Illinois, there's more going on because I, I just, I was surprised at how hard and how well Illinois fought, given the fact that their coach is supposed to hate them all. So I'm like, well, how is there a disconnect between the media and the way the players feel? Probably that often does happen. Now, the only other thing I want to say about this game is that Penn State has a stud receiver, Jahan Dotson. And Jahan Dotson is a jump ball machine. And I I find it shocking that Penn State had seven plays from the three-yard line. And none of them were a jump ball to Jahan Dotson. I'm like, why are we not giving him at least one target? It, It was weird. You go through all these overtime periods and... Jahan Dodson never gets a fade ball in the end zone. I'm like, well, why? Well, it was very weird to me. I feel like a big missed opportunity. Uh, and, and certainly Penn State had opportunities to win. It's, they get nothing to blame but themselves. But that was a weird one. I'm like, huh, why are we not calling that play? Now, game number two, Clemson at number 23 ranked Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh won. They beat Clemson 27-17. to Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett played great. I'm still not sure where he stands as far as the NFL. Like Kenny Pickett... Uh, is a guy that I I really can't wait to dive into his film in February. I just haven't watched him play enough. I've watched him play a couple times, and I like what I've seen. Uh, I can't really tell, though, is he a first-round pick, a second-round pick, maybe a third-round pick? Like, I just haven't watched enough of him playing to really make a decision there. But, man, it it seems like from what the little I've seen, it appears like Kenny Pickett has mastered the level of college football. Like, I, I mean, he seems to have habits and preparation and like he handles big moments like a pro. He's not nervous. He enjoys the moment. He had a great throw rolling to his right into the end zone for a touchdown. I was like, oh man, it's a massive throw against Clemson. And Pitt currently, by the way, is six and one. They're doing very well, having a great year. Kenny Pickett is awesome. Now Clemson is four and three and they already have three losses this year in seven games. Clemson has not lost three games since they went 10-3 and three 
in 2014. This is a bad down year for Clemson. And it may feel like, I, I, I guess I feel like there's going to be more losses likely for Clemson. Like, I look at the horizon and I go, Clemson's in bad shape. Uh, DJ Uwe Unglele, their quarterback, got benched for a while during this game. He threw a pick six on the very first drive of the third quarter, tried to have a, tried to make a shovel pass up and got picked off, went for a touchdown. Then they benched him. And then eventually, once they realized the backup quarterback wasn't going to do anything either, they just put DJ Uyunglele back in the game. Uh, DJ finished the game 12 for 25 passing with 128 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. He did run for a touchdown, so that's some positive stuff there. But Clemson fans, I, I think, first of all, they need to relax with this whole notion of we need to fire coaches. They're ready to fire Tony Elliott. They're, I'm like, relax, guys. This is silly. My perspective on Clemson is that they're trying to blame a coach when I think that DJ is uh, the bust here. DJ, when I watch him, DJ Uyunglele, I, I like the guy, uh, but he makes bad decisions. He looks unprepared. He throws a terrible ball. Like He does not throw a pretty ball. And that, that doesn't matter that much, I guess, as long as the ball gets there. But the amount of times I've watched DJ just be completely inaccurate, throw a terrible ball that's not a spiral, I'm like, ugh. It's hard to watch as a former quarterback. And I think really the, the thing in Clemson is they just need to recruit a better quarterback. Like either that or DJ just needs to magically get way, way better next year. But I don't see that happening. And uh, there's no progression going on for DJ. So you can blame the coaching staff if you want. I currently, based on what, because Clemson's won a lot in the past. Like Tony Elliott's not a terrible offensive coordinator. I just think DJ is the problem. He, he, I think, is a guy who he got a lot of the sponsorships this, before the year started, and I think his head got a little bit big, and he looks like a guy who isn't prepared, and that's frustrating but true. Now, game number three is this. Number six ranked Michigan beat Northwestern 33-7. to And, uh, oh, man, the result of this game is that Michigan is now 7-0. So is their rival, Michigan State. And uh, next week, that means we have a battle of two unbeaten teams, Michigan against Michigan State, fighting for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. I'm like, yes! Oh, I've been, I've been talking about this for weeks, hoping, like, are we going to get it? Is that going to happen? Are we going to get a battle of unbeatens in the Paul Bunyan Trophy game? We are. And then I wonder, well, what if either Michigan or Michigan State goes undefeated the rest of the year? Because after the Paul Bunyan Trophy game, Then they got to beat both of them play Penn State and Ohio State later in the year. It's not entirely impossible that one of them could beat Michigan or Michigan State, then beat Penn State and Ohio State. It'd be really crazy and cool if one of the Michigan teams made it into the college football playoff. I'm rooting for that. I want a change of scenery. I like when different teams are represented and represent their league in the college football playoff. I like both coaches. I like Mel Tucker. I like uh, Jim Harbaugh. I just think fun stuff is brewing in Michigan, and man, we have a really massive game next weekend, Michigan against Michigan State. Okay, uh, number two ranked Cincinnati beat unranked Navy 20 to se- uh, 20, 27 to 20, excuse me. They won by seven points, 27 to 20. So Cincinnati remains unbeaten, but uh, only winning by seven points is not great when you're playing an unranked Navy team. Now, I admit the game should not have been this close, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But you do have to realize that playing Navy is a 
unique challenge in college football because they run a triple option flex bone offense, meaning that basically they run the veer and triple option. And it's a different style of offense that Cincinnati's not going to play against again the rest of the year. So it's tough to prepare for because it's so unique and different than anything else in college football. And also remember, maybe not remember, but let me tell you, Cincinnati led it one point in the fourth quarter, 27 to 10 going into the beginning of that quarter. So Cincinnati had a big lead. It just got cut short by Navy, you know, making progress and closing down that lead, making it 27 to 20 by the end. I don't know. I, I, I'm curious how the rankings reflect the fact that Cincinnati barely beat Navy next, you know, when the rankings come out on Monday. I'm curious. I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, also, I'm really curious what the NFL thinks of Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter. He's a good athlete, a guy who can throw. I think that Desmond Ritter isn't maximizing his arm strength. I think there's, when you, I look at his ability to throw the ball, I'm like, there's his frame uh, with a bit of work could drive the ball with a lot more velocity downfield. So we, I think he wants to work with a better quarterback coach in the offseason. But I just wonder if someone's going to look at Desmond Ritter, someone in the NFL will see that there's a guy with potential that could be developed. And I don't, I don't know if he will. He's definitely a guy with, there's something there with Desmond Ritter. He does a lot of stuff I like, and I, I'm curious if um, any NFL teams see potential there that I see with Desmond Ritter. Now, Navy is 1-6. They're a one-win football team. A seven-point win over Navy is really, really not good for Cincinnati. It makes me wonder if Oklahoma will leapfrog Cincinnati in the rankings. Although I will say, you know, number three Oklahoma barely beat a one-win Kansas team as well. So neither team played that great Oklahoma or Cincinnati this weekend. Uh, Kansas is awful, yet they really, really challenged Oklahoma. Like Kansas led... 17 to 14 at the start of the fourth quarter in this football game. Oklahoma is losing to Kansas to start the fourth quarter. Like Oklahoma is eight. No right now, but they've had some really ugly and unconvincing wins so far this year. And I just, I just wonder if people are going to, I just, I'm what happens in the rankings this, this Monday, does Oklahoma leapfrog Cincinnati? I'm really curious to see what happens there. Uh, I saw a lot of people being critical of, Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams. Uh, remember, OU benched Spencer Rattler against Texas, and then Caleb Williams has been the starting quarterback there ever since. And I, I, really what I learned from this game and seeing people criticize Caleb Williams is that people, it reinforced the idea to me that people will criticize anyone and anything. Like, hey, cute puppies, people will probably find a reason to hate on that too. It's, like, it's crazy to me. And I think re the reality is Oklahoma fans were just a little bit alarmed and scared feeling like they thought they might lose to Kansas. But Caleb Williams was 15 for 20 passing for 178 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I mean, the dude only had five incomplete passes in this football game. It's like, well, that's a bit drastic to say he's playing terrible. He also ran the ball eight times for 70 yards and a touchdown. He had a big, long touchdown run on fourth and three. Uh, he also had a super clutch heads up play, a fourth and one. Oklahoma running back Kennedy Brooks got stopped in the backfield and Caleb Williams made a crazy play. Something I've never seen before at any level of football. Caleb Williams took the ball out of his running back's hands, basically stripping his own teammate and then took the ball and ran for the first down himself. I'm like, Oh, I've never seen that. And some people said that Kennedy Brooks should have been called down due to a lack of forward progress. And I understand that argument. Like that makes sense to me. 
But I'm also really glad they let that play play out because the result, what we got was Caleb Williams taking the ball, making a really unique and exciting play. And that's why I watch football. I like when unique, interesting, different, exciting things happen. And it was fun to watch that play get made by Caleb Williams. By the way, in this game, Robert Griffin III was doing color commentary. And uh, he was outstanding as an analyst. Uh, I love his energy. I love his insight. Clearly, like, RG3 was having a good old time, just enjoying the game of football, enjoying talking about it on a broadcast. And uh, both RG3 and then Dan Orlovsky, the final, the former Lions quarterback, I think he works on, gosh, is it NFL Live? Probably. One of those shows. Like, Dan Orlovsky, though, doing college football broadcast is fantastic. I, I, I don't think he's getting the credit he deserves. And I look at both RG3 and Dan Orlovsky are rising stars in the world of color commentary in the broadcast with their great analysts and uh, both did a great job this weekend calling college football games. Now, number six, Wake Forest beat Army 70 to 56. And it's crazy. Wake Forest had a crazy low time of possession. Wake Forest had the ball basically for 17 minutes the entire game. And in 17 minutes, they put up 70 points, seven, zero. That's something like four points a minute. That's unbelievable. And I really, really like Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman. I don't know if he's an NFL quarterback, although I would love to see the Panthers sign him. Maybe as a free agent, depending on if he gets drafted or not. But Sam Hartman's style actually really, really reminds me of Sam Darnold. I I see a lot of similarities in the way they play. And uh, in this game, Sam Hartman was 23 for 29 with 458 yards passing Five touchdowns throwing. He also ran for a touchdown. Sam Hartman is a baller, man. I love watching the guy play. By the way, Wake Forest is 7-0. Like, Wake Forest is undefeated seven games into the year. Currently, they are the highest-ranking ACC team. And they've got some interesting games ahead. They play at North Carolina. They play NC State. Uh, On November 20th, Sam Hartman and Wake Forest go on the road at Clemson. I'm really excited for that game. I'm just really, really curious. Where does... Wake Forest end up by the end of the year. I think they have a shot to, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm really fascinated. I like the idea of Wake Forest being good. That's so rare and interesting to me. And I would love to see them finish the year off strong with like a, an undefeated season or a one win or a one loss or two loss season. If they could beat Clemson, that'd be like so exciting and cool. And uh, next week, again, North Carolina against, you know, and Sam Howell against Wake Forest and NC State. Sorry, Wake, what am I saying? Wake Forest and... Sam Hartman. NC State is not a name. Where, where, how did that happen to me? It's 4 a.m. Give me a break. But uh, I'm really excited to watch this game next weekend. And uh, Wake Forest is a team I would have never thought would be on my radar seven games into the college football season. But right now they are. They're playing very well. And I like what they got going on uh, with the Demon Deacons. Now, unranked Wisconsin beat number 25 Purdue. Uh, Wisconsin won 30-13. to 13. And I, I thought this might happen. Purdue is coming off of a really big emotional win over a number two ranked team, Iowa, last week. And uh, I talked about, you know, my, my preview for college football week eight. I was like, well, this could happen. And Purdue uh, quarterback Aiden O'Connell, who had a fantastic game last week against Iowa. Like he was lights out last week, had a great game to follow up that good performance. Except, no, he, he didn't. Uh, Aiden O'Connell had three interceptions. He played horrible. They actually benched him at one point. Then the backup quarterback came in and had a turnover. 
Purdue had five turnovers in this game. And the only touchdowns, by the way, that Purdue had in this football game came as a result of Wisconsin fumbling. So it was a terrible game for Purdue. They got dominated. And here's what's crazy to me. Wisconsin did not even try to throw the ball in this game. Their quarterback, Graham Mertz, was five for eight with 52 yards passing in this football game. Graham Mertz handed off the ball 47 times in this game. Wisconsin ran the ball for 290 yards. They had two running backs, both that ran for over 140 yards. Uh, And Brett Bielma, the coach at Illinois, used to coach at Wisconsin. And it's pretty funny, man. Both Illinois and Wisconsin are not even trying to throw the ball. They've just given up on throwing the ball completely. Both of them had drives where they did not even throw a pass during this game. The entire drive. And I cannot believe that both Illinois and Wisconsin won this weekend because they're so wildly one-dimensional. Like, man, that's so unbelievable to me. Now, the final game I want to talk about. Uh, number 10, Oregon beat UCLA 34-31. to Chip Kelly against his former school. And it was pretty sad. Oregon had a 34-17 to lead. And then UCLA made a big comeback. And UCLA was in the hunt, like driving at the end of the fourth quarter. And on that final drive, their starting quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, got hurt. And uh, UCLA's backup quarterback came in, Ethan Garbers. He threw a pick. And it kind of sealed the game in favor of Oregon. Oregon won. It was still a good finish. Like, it wasn't horrible. But I, I did kind of feel a sense of, um, like, there was more potential for fun in this game that we didn't get to see. I mean, UCLA, again, they had the ball down 34-31. to 31, End of the fourth quarter, like, three minutes left. They're driving. And then uh, starting quarterback, DTR, gets hurt. I was like, oh, man. I would have loved to see overtime or a touchdown. Maybe make Oregon respond. I don't know. It was disappointing, but this game did kind of make me wake up and realize that Chip Kelly has done a done a good job at UCLA. Not amazing. It's taken a lot of time, but right now, the UCLA football program is better now than when Chip Kelly first got there. And certainly in way better shape than USC right now. So, I don't know. I just credit to Chip Kelly. He's actually... I remember being very critical of him years ago. Going, it's taking a long time. It's not working. But I look at USC right now, and I'm like, hey, Chip Kelly ain't that bad. <laughs> and uh, I just shout out to him. Like Oregon, sorry, UCLA is really making progress as a football program. And the way they played against Oregon to me was a, an example of that. Like, okay, UCLA, they're in the hunt. They've got guys going to the NFL. They're winning games. They are competing heavily with good teams. And uh, it makes me feel really good about what Chip Kelly's doing at UCLA. Now, here's a weird stat line from this game. Oregon running back Travis Dye had 14 carries for only 35 yards, but he had four touchdown runs. I'm like, oh my gosh, he actually had four touchdown runs on four consecutive carries. It was pretty crazy. Uh, his longest run, by the way, in this prolific day, he had a four touchdowns. His longest run was six yards. Like Travis Dye had a weird game where not a lot of yards, but really effective in scoring quite frequently. Okay, I want to now give you the College Football Week 8 Hall of Shame. Uh, go to YouTube and search, uh, look, up, look up for this thing. USC Clock Management Notre Dame. Because I'm not going to explain it. It would take too long to explain all, how all that worked. But go watch the video if you can find it. Uh, USC had a total fail with clock management at the right before halftime against Notre Dame on the road. And uh, it was just... It was horrible. I'm like, what are you doing? He ran the ball, had no timeouts, and then 
didn't I love Keaton Slovis, but he made a mistake. Should have just got rid of the ball, thrown it out of bounds. He didn't. I horrible clock management by uh by USC in that end of that game. And then number two, uh search for Iowa State taunting on YouTube. Iowa State taunting. You will find a video of there was a horrible, horrible taunting call made against Iowa State. It took a touchdown off the board, and we're lucky that that touchdown being called back and, and removed didn't end up costing Iowa State the game because the receiver did not deserve a taunting penalty at all, and it was just a ridiculous, horrible, embarrassing, shameful call made by the ref. So, guys, that's all I have. That's my full recap of college football weekend. It was a crazy, fun, wild weekend. That that nine-overtime game was kind of the highlight of the weekend for me. Not the best weekend ever, you know, um, Oklahoma didn't play very well. Cincinnati didn't play very well. Georgia had a bye week, but I'm really, really curious to see the rankings come Monday morning. Let's now shift to the NFL. This is old news, but it has bothered me all week. Uh, plus, you know, the Chargers have a bye week this week, so I feel like I can get away with talking about this. All week, I kept asking myself, how in the world did the Ravens absolutely destroy the LA Chargers during NFL Week 6? Like, Baltimore won 34-6. to And I was expecting a big, close, exciting game with a crazy finish, and we got none of that. It was a disappointing, horrible performance by LA. So, what happened? Uh, well, I finally watched the game, and uh, here's basically what happened. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, Baltimore played really, really outstanding defense, uh, and their coverage all game long was really, really good. Marlon Humphrey was following Chargers receiver Mike Williams all over the field and playing really, really physical with him. Mike Williams only had two catches for 27 yards in this game. One catch went for 26 yards. So basically, Mike Williams won one time all day against Marlon Humphrey. In fact, early on, Mike Williams had a key drop where he got hit at the point of contact right as he caught the ball. I guess right as the ball hit his hands, he got hit, couldn't hang on, and it was a key drop that led to a cascading effect of you know bad failed third down conversions and fourth down conversions for the LA uh, Chargers. I almost said Rams. That's dangerous. Don't say Rams and you mean Chargers. Now, the Ravens defense played amazing coverage all game long. They got safety Deshaun Elliott back from an injury for this game. And Baltimore just made every single throw for Justin Herbert, the Chargers quarterback. Really, really tough. Every window was really, really tight, and every throw was contested with a defender right next to a receiver. It was great man coverage. They blitzed a lot. And the fact also is that I, I love Justin Herbert. He had a bad game, though. And, and look, it happens. You have bad games sometimes, but week six of the NFL season against the Baltimore Ravens on the road uh, was the worst game of Justin Herbert's NFL career so far. It was not, not good at all. He had a lot of opportunities on third and fourth down with receivers open, and he missed guys multiple times where he just was inaccurate. He had guys open. Had an opportunity for a completion and a lot of stop routes. He was just totally missed and it was like inaccurate. I'm like, what? It was very weird. It was a weird performance for Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin will be fine, but that is what happened. It was just a bad game by him. And that's a big reason why LA got dominated last weekend. So Justin Herbert had a rare bad game. Herbie's going to be okay, though. Herbie's going to be fine. Bad games happen. The real concern in LA, though, is that their run defense, and this is not a Ravens game thing. This is. All year long, their run defense has been really, really bad. And I'm really curious whether or not the Chargers can find a way to adjust and improve against the running game. Like, a lot of the problem is that guys are really, really struggling to 
disengage and get you know get off of blocks and make a tackle. It's interesting. I already really love the Chargers rookie coach Brandon Staley. But if he can fix this run defense midseason the way he needs to right now, like if he can find a way to make that happen, he's going to be a miracle worker. I've really, I've already been impressed with him. I don't expect him to find a way to make this run defense even better for LA. But if he can fix that problem, I mean, he's the best coach I've seen in a long, long time. He's like Sean McVay, but better. And I just, the Chargers run defense really, really struggled against Baltimore. The Ravens ran for 187 yards. And that's a, a massive problem that could be the, Big weakness that holds back L.A. from maybe winning a Super Bowl this year is their run defense is just not very good. Again, uh, bad game for Justin Herbert. The only time L.A. scored this entire game was that, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson threw an interception deep in his own territory, and that gave L.A. great field position. It set up a touchdown, but of course, it was this kind of day. Like, even after the touchdown, L.A. missed the extra point. It was just a terrible game for them. They lost 34-6. to and uh, just it's just a really really bad game. That, that's how and why the Chargers lost. They couldn't stop the run, and Justin Herbert had a really really bad game. And again, credit the Ravens secondary. It's not all about the quarterback. Like the Ravens made every throw difficult for Justin Herbert. Played great coverage all game. And shout out to the Ravens defense. Now, one final thought I have about this game. I've been on this narrative a lot recently. I I will move on for a while after this, but I, I want to say that. There's so much evidence that shows that running backs basically have no value in the NFL. Uh, the Ravens are proving how interchangeable running backs really can be. I mean, during the preseason, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins got hurt. They're out for the year. And, and I remember going, oh, no, that's a big deal. Their running game is going to not be the same. Well, <laughs> despite losing their top running backs, Baltimore's running game has been totally fine. Currently, they have Latavius Murray... Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell, who came in and, you know, Le'Veon Bell came in off the street to play running back for Baltimore. And the Ravens are still fourth and rushing in the NFL. They're winning games. And uh, it's pretty clear that losing their starting running backs did not hurt them at all. So I just want to keep pounding that into the table. Like the running back position has very little to no value in the NFL. Okay, guys, uh, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Uh, 400 episodes have been done of Strong Opinion Sports. Let me tell you, uh, it was a short episode. I made a mistake wearing this shirt. It's too hot. Not not the, I'm actually, it's two shirts. I'm wearing like the overshirt and then an undershirt. The undershirt, oh, I'm sweating like a pig under here. You, you don't want to know that, but uh, I, I should not have worn multiple shirts for recording this episode. It's so hot in here. And uh, I made it worse by wearing a long sleeve shirt underneath for some reason, which is such a dumb, terrible call. I don't know why I did that, but... um. Oh, well, I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great night, a uh, great day. It's it's 4.45 in the morning for me. I love you. I appreciate you. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.